Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Ocean Waves. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. Uh, I'm a senior editor with American Shipper and Freight Waves. Uh, and it turns out this is an incredibly timely event uh, because right now we're dealing with an unprecedented surge of imports to the United States. Uh, and we're dealing with an unprecedented port congestion. Uh, and for our keynote conversation, uh, we are lucky enough to have someone who is right in the middle of all that, uh, Gene Soroka, the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles. Gene, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Greg. Good to see you. Yeah, so let's get right to it. Um, I want to start uh, looking at the challenges on the ocean side, and then we'll move on from there to land. Uh, and uh, things are changing so much on the ocean side that I'm going to need to date this conversation. Uh, we're speaking on September 30th. Um, as of yesterday, according to the Marine Exchange, there were uh, 64 container ships at anchor or drifting uh, in San Pedro Bay, and that is nine down from the all-time record of 73 that was set on September 12th. Uh, as of today, the average wait time to get from anchor to berth in the Port of Los Angeles uh, was 9.9 days, uh, is 9.9 days, and that's an all-time record. Um, and the issue here is there's just so many ships uh, coming into Southern California. Uh, one analyst I talked to looked at the uh, the number of scheduled services from Asia to the West Coast. There were 48 in January and 67 now. So that's an increase of 40%, just uh, incredible. Uh, and there are you know the, the three main alliances. Uh, there are carrier members of the alliances that are doing their own services. Uh, there are all sorts of new players, and there are all these extra loaders out there. So my first question to you, Gene, would be, uh, back in February, when you were giving one of your monthly speeches uh, on, on um, uh, port throughput, uh, you talked about uh, metering ocean capacity and getting liners to divert to other, other, uh, other ports. And uh, you know, that was a long time ago. Uh, so much has changed. It seems like a lifetime ago. Is, is there any way for uh, ports or terminals through communications with the carriers uh, to staunch this flow of ships coming in? Or is that at this point pretty much off the table? Yeah, that, that really didn't go so well back in February. And again, the, the twin ports between Long Beach and Los Angeles will probably manage about 20 million 20-foot equivalent units when uh, this year comes to an end. And the next closest port is, what, 7 to 8 million 20-foot equivalent units. So trying to move our excess cargo around to other ports was a, uh, a fleeting aspiration that really never got traction. But to your point, we've seen the highest level of output from our factories in Asia in recorded history, yet they're still behind on orders. Year over year, the Trans-Pacific trade has seen a 30% increase in vessel capacity and we still leave containers behind in Asia. When the cargo comes here to Los Angeles on the water, it's not just those three alliances and the carriers that you mentioned, but there are no less than 10 new entrants to the trade, many of which are strong intra-Asia brands that are coming to augment the capacity in the TP. And we've even seen a handful of major U.S. retailers charter their own vessels and containers to try to bring them in here to Southern California. So while the vessel capacity is up 30%, it's not quite keeping up with the market. And on the land side here that we'll get into in a moment, truck capacity is only increased by 8%. And less than half the registered drivers are coming to the port on a regular basis. So this is just the consumer strength 
here in the U.S. that we're witnessing on display every single day with all of this cargo coming in. And there's no let up. As COVID-19 came to our shores and we went to the safer at home orders, once we got our, our sea legs under us, we started to buy more product online. And in fact, online purchasing has doubled over the last 12 months, what it took a decade to build. It's now 20% of retail sales in the U.S. And as we buy more clothes and shoes, we're also buying more furniture and appliances, athletic equipment and athleisure wear. So the market continues to tap out at every turn, and there's stress on every part of the supply chain. Yeah, another trend that we've seen on the ocean side is the type of ships that you're seeing. Uh, they're, they're actually getting smaller. Um, if you think about extra loaders, those are ships that the carriers are pulling from other trades, such as Asia, Middle East, or Asia, Africa, and those are smaller vessels. If you think about uh, the new players that are, look, that are getting ships in, uh, by buying them or chartering them, uh, the ships available this year in the S&P market and the charter market have generally been smaller. Uh, an analyst I talked to looked at the average ship size in January versus today, and he saw a decrease of 17%. I looked at uh, the ships in San Pedro Bay recently and compared them to the February peak, and I saw a de uh, decrease in size of 24%, probably because the extra loaders were in the pool I was looking at. But what my question to you is, uh, if you have uh, more smaller ships, if, for example, a 9,000 TU ship was doing a job in February that three 3,000 TEU ships are doing today. Is that making things more complicated for the ports and the terminals? Well, sure. More vessel calls means more planning. We, In normal times, we work on a Windows-based arrival and departure system. So every ship that comes here has an appointment at a specific terminal for a particular time of stay to be worked. That's gotten kind of jumbled. The services are off schedule and have been for some time now because of the sheer amount of cargo and work that it's taking. But in actuality, here at the Port of Los Angeles, through the uh, the end of August, we've been uh, averaging 11,300 TEUs loaded on and off each ship that calls here. That's the highest exchange in the world today. So while we're seeing the new entrants with smaller ships, some of the charters, and as you correctly say, bringing in assets from other trades that don't necessarily have the capacity requirements we do, shows that some of the smaller vessels are being deployed in the trade, once again, to augment the capacity of the existing three alliance networks. In reality as well, what we're seeing is that vessel productivity alongside our docks is up 50% year over year. So the longshore men and women that are working those vessels, discharging and loading back containers, are welcoming now, on average, 15 vessels per day at the Port of Los Angeles. In more normal times, before this surge began and pre-COVID, we averaged 10 ships a day. So to meet the merits of what this rising market is, longshore labor has met the challenge on the ground. And overall, since that time of the safer at home orders that began in March of 2020 through right now, longshore labor rank and file is averaging six days per week on the job every week. So we're going to continue to keep up these productivity measures, but the best and the brightest are on every ship that comes here to the Port of LA. Yeah, last question on the ocean side before we get to land. Uh, thinking back to, uh, it was June, uh, you know, the, the COVID out outbreak in Yantian, uh, it really looked like that gave a breather to Southern California and the acreage numbers came down. 
We have a different situation now, but maybe something similar. Uh, if you look at the number of ships at anchor uh, off Shanghai and Ningbo, there's twice as many waiting to load as are waiting to offload off Los Angeles and Long Beach. Uh, we, we're seeing news reports of power outages in, in the factories in China, which could delay uh, orders. And we have uh, Golden Week uh, in the first week of October. So is it possible, at least temporarily, that there could be a lull on the ocean side because of these factors, like we saw with Yantian, that could help out a little bit, at least in the short term? Yeah, possible, but not likely. Uh, when I worked in China, we came on the national holiday week starting October 1, trying to build roll pools and have as much cargo ready for week 41's departures. It looks a lot different today than it did back then. Realistically speaking, at this juncture, we should be seeing uh, several voided services or canceled sailings, as we used to call them. We're not seeing that either. So the rotation of ships will come slower than normal because of all the uh, all the freight that's moving through the system. And realistically speaking, you know, again, when these ships get here, it's like taking 10 lanes of freeway traffic and putting it into five. It's not bottlenecked. We're record levels of productivity and throughput every month, as you follow quite closely, Greg. But realistically speaking, it's so much the U.S. domestic supply chain cannot absorb it all. Looking at what's coming out of China's region, Southeast Asia, there's something in the news every day that impacts the supply chain. It could be shortages on some key materials, third and fourth wave of COVID outbreaks like we saw in Vietnam that shuttered the factory and, and production markets there, similar to what we saw in China at the first level of COVID-19. So we just have to be resilient. We have to pivot as quickly as we can. And our industry must learn how to scale up and down to capture these market inputs and how we need to handle the cargo. There's a lot of thought around it, both in the public and private sectors at the highest level, to try to manage this volume and look a little bit deeper into the future. If we can make it past the Delta variant and Mu variant, there will be a day where we start moving more of our discretionary income back into the service sector. We're not quite there yet. Although the American economy has opened up slowly, we're still spending a lot of our money on retail goods, home improvement products, and other finished materials for our homes and, and yards and, and apparel wear. But when we get into this place, I think we're going to see a leveling of the imports, not necessarily a fall or going off a cliff. And we'll see some money go back into that service sector. But for the time being, we see a very strong market through the end of the year and into an early Lunar New Year This uh, in 2022. That'll be the first week of February. And then the major retailers are telling me after that Lunar New Year holiday, we're going to see a very strong focus on replenishment of inventory. Our inventory to sales ratio is the lowest it's been since pre-recessionary days. Now, that replenishment concept may take us into through the second quarter into summertime. And if it goes a bit longer than that, we may pivot directly into peak season again next year. Well, well let's, let's move to the land uh, side issues now. Uh, specifically, let's start with the terminal. Uh, you mentioned the longshore labor before. Um, Anytime I see stories about this supply chain crisis, they talk about uh, labor or lack thereof. If we sp you know, focus specifically on the terminal and the longshore, uh, you know, there was the COVID issue earlier this year, which I haven't heard about, so I assume that's not an issue now. If you could walk us through what the level of longshore labor uh, is now versus where it's been a couple months ago, 
what the possibilities are to expand that labor pool and what the possibilities are maybe to expand maybe the number of hours per day. We have three segments of key labor in our marketplace. Let's start first with the longshore, the ILWU, the marine clerks, the foremen, and others. Right now, we've seen the rank and file members of the ILWU on the job an average of six days per week. There are a little more than 15,000 longshore members, about 8,000 plus of which are registered class A and Bs. Those are the folks that are credentialed. 7,000 are the casuals or apprentices. Those are trying to work their credentials, hours, and skills to get into the registered classifications. We've added about 1,000 longshore members in total, both registered and casuals, over the past several months. There's been an aggressive training program led by Local 13 President Ramon Ponce de Leon, Local 63, Mike Padue, and Local 94, Danny Miranda, to get folks skilled, get their hours and credentials up, we need all the help on the docks that we can. The casual workforce has been out in the high 90 percentile range, meaning all the casuals who are out there are on the job most days. So to expand even beyond this is also something that both the Employers Association and union will continue to evaluate and bring as much work to the docks as we possibly can. The second area is the truck driver. We have about 18,000 truck drivers that are licensed to do business at the Southern California ports, yet only half are calling here at least once a week. Much has been written about how long it takes to get in and out of the port, trying to work on reducing truck turn times, increase dual transactions, get a line of sight on empty and export returns with vessel schedules off kilter from what they normally would be in the pro forma planning stages and realistically maximizing those round trips so the trucker can bring one container in and a unique container out. What we're seeing also in this market is the containers are sitting for longer periods of time than ever before. We have a staff meeting every morning at 0900. We publish our operations report on our website and through some of our other channels, including the Port Optimizer. Containers are sitting at the Port of Los Angeles Marine Terminals an average of 6.2 days. In pre-pandemic or surge times, the average container sat for two days. So we have more than tripled the amount of time these containers are sitting. I have asked, in some cases requested, and implored importers to pick up their cargo. If we can start clearing these terminal tarmacs, we can bring that next ship at anchor in very quickly and get that work done of discharge and loading to push that vessel back to Asia. But with these containers sitting so long, we've got some other issues that need to be handled. So we developed Accelerate Cargo LA, and the idea was to create a push system from the terminals. Normally, what we're accustomed to here with our private sector marine terminal partners, they're open for business, they'll publish gate hours and schedules, and they'll put up on their website appointment times that are available for the importer, exporter, and truck community. We've turned that around to a push system. We know whose cargo is here, how much of it there is, who their trucking partners are, and how long these containers have been sitting. So we're on an active campaign to go out to the import community and get commitments from them on how many containers they'll be able to pull out per shift, per day, per week, measure that, 
and also make sure that the shipping lines give us a corresponding commitment on empty and export returns so we can maximize that dual transaction. It's going to take some finesse and hard work, but I'm very encouraged by the early returns of a number of retail companies that have come to us with their plans thus far. We need to do much more. The other dwell time that's quite concerning is the on-street dwell, waiting for warehouse space. Now, again, this is a combination of warehouses overflowing with cargo and a less than succinct empty return policy. We've got to make this data visible and transparent. Working it through our port information system is a good start, but that communication's got to be on the ground between liner company, trucker, importer, and exporter. The last segment of very important workers that we have around this is the warehouse worker. And while some have talked about how we can better plan and schedule together, the warehouses are traditionally open from about seven to five every day. And what we've seen is that the two billion square feet of warehousing in Southern California from the shores of the Pacific out to our desert region are full. And they're also mixing cargo now. Cargo that's going through traditional fulfillment lanes is going into regular warehousing, trying to take advantage of just about every place we have with a roof over it. So commingling traditional warehouse cargo, distribution center, fulfillment through this omni-channel distribution network takes a little bit longer to cycle out and get the cargo tagged and ticketed and ready for distribution to inland points in America. So a lot of this complexity comes down to that warehousing area where we have a third of all our cargo go every day. Trying to segment and streamline this a little better, make sure there's enough workers in those warehouses and we sync up these schedules is the big task at hand today. Well, you talked about uh, uh, issues with trucking and warehousing, and uh, I wonder how this all relates to this, you know, everyone that's looking at this crisis says 24-7, 24-7, let's make it 24-7. How realistic do you think that really is, given the fact that, for example, warehouses don't work 24-7? Yeah, it's trying to bring so many nodes of this transportation network together, again, to get on schedule, to maximize productivity. I'll give you a couple of other stats, Greg. Today, 30% of all available truck appointments in Los Angeles and Long Beach go unused. 30% of the truck capacity and capabilities go unused every day for a variety of reasons. So we started doing some data mining, using our port optimizer, working with our terminal customers and others to try to find that way. So we developed the Accelerate LA program, the push system that I just mentioned to take advantage of the existing capacity. Now, of course, as cargo calls, we can expand gate hours, we can expand days of operation, and yes, we may all aspire to a 24-7 supply chain, but let's start first where we have the skilled worker on the job, the gates are open, the capacity is there for us to utilize, so we can squeeze every hour of productivity from this port. Before I start talking about adding cost to the supply chain, and getting into this inflationary discussion, which will hit all of us consumers if we just try to throw money at this, let's take advantage of the capacity we have in front of us today. Again, I like what I'm seeing so far from a few in the retail community. We need more. We need to pick up this cargo and get it off our terminals so we can work the ships behind it. If we improve the velocity of the cargo, getting it off the docks and getting those empties and exports returned more quickly from the street than we're doing today, suddenly we can make real gains on cutting into the backlog, the ships at anchor, and moving this cargo out. 
it'll also assist in how we build our trains. If we have more maneuverability on these terminals, we can move that cargo around to the rail cars. We can go directly from ship to rail car without a point of rest. And we've gotten that commitment from longshore labor. They're looking too to squeeze every ounce of productivity every hour on the job. And these are fundamental segments that we can really take advantage of, but we're so codependent. We need everybody's help, and it starts with the importer today. You know, one of the things we haven't talked yet about yet is rail. Uh, you know, back in mid-June, the on-dock rail dwell time at the port was around 12 days. Uh, in July, UP and BNSF uh, either suspended or temporarily curtailed service from L.A. to Juliet. Uh, because they had to. Uh, in mid-August, uh, the on-dock rail dwell time was up around 13 days, and most recently in the middle of the month, it was around 11.7. What's what's the solution here on the rail side? I mean, how does it get down to a much lower level? We've been working every day with our, our rail colleagues at the highest level from both the Union Pacific Railroad and the Burlington Northern Santa Fe. I have uh, weekly calls and biweekly calls with senior managers. And, and my most recent one with the uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe with Steve Bob was so great. At one point this summer, the BNSF had 25 trains sitting outside of the Joliet facility at Global 4 waiting for enough rail terminal space to bring that next train in. That was almost 22 to 25 miles of trains, Greg, that were sitting outside of Joliet just waiting. Steve reported to me that as of last Friday, there were only four trains sitting outside of Joliet. West Memphis, Arkansas is clear, as is downtown Memphis's rail hub, and Alliance outside of Fort Worth is also clear. So we're seeing some real good moves on the rail side Customers, again, need to get into these rail facilities, pick up their containers and chassis, devan them and bring them back quickly. That velocity on the rail terminal is an exact replica of what we're asking for here on our marine terminal in Los Angeles. So we're starting to see all this work of increasing the, the rail cars, the engine power, getting more crews trained and out there on the job is all starting to pay off right now. There's much more work to do. And the imbalance of trade also is impactful here. Please remember on our last press conference where I cited we're at about five to one, five imports for every one laden export. In more normal times, that's that's about two and a half to one, our normal ratio. So we've got to really stretch every asset provider by bringing in this surge of imports and then trying to collect all the exports the best we can. That puts a lot of stress on the system. But again, the two Western railroads and our own short line, the Pacific Harbor line, is doing a great job at trying to collect everything they can, be as efficient. We're building trains no less than three miles in length now. And that used to be a dream of ours. But today it's happening in reality, and we're moving out 100 trains a day from the L.A. Basin, thanks to the help of our rail partners. Again, we always want to keep improving, but so heartened by what's happened over the last weeks and months. So, yeah, I, I guess just to wrap it up, my final question would be, uh, how does this all end? I mean, all of these solutions, there's no there's no silver bullet here. Uh, these are squeezing out productivity here and there. Uh, but consumer demand is still high. Inventory to sales ratios are still historically low, as you said. Um, are, are we really? Or do you think this is going to wrap up in 2022, or should people be actually thinking about this on an even longer term basis? Yeah, I don't see this ever returning to any any semblance of normalcy. Again, in our business, we've got to learn to pivot. We have to learn to scale. 
up and down depending on seasonality of the flow of cargo. But we have found it so convenient to buy online, have packages delivered, pick up packages on the curbside, getting recurring orders going on a, on a normal cycle so that product keeps coming in, whether it's our groceries or laundry detergent or anything in between. So even as things normalize, we're not going to see that, that tremendous fall down on imports. They'll remain at a very strong level. And the U.S. consumer has proven their strength day in and day out. As we come out again, we'll see more discretionary income go to services. But the learnings we take away from these episodes will make us more resilient. We'll find ways to become more productive. And I think a lot of this is going to be information sharing. While some have politicized it, much to my disappointment, sharing of information, being able to aggregate public data so we can see upstream better, look around corners, anticipate much better than we've done so far, really is one of the pathways we must take. Building a world-class training and workforce development center here in Los Angeles is also a high priority. We need to train folks and get them accredited so that worker can move from the training environment right to a live terminal, but not train on that terminal in the way of all this cargo moving. It must be a safe and secure environment, but to get the accreditation and hours that they need. So we're going to be turning dirt here in, in months time and make sure that we have a place where not only longshore clerks and foremen can go, but others who want a, uh, a commercial driver's license for trucking, welders, and other skills that are needed here at the port. Remember, we're, we're investing a lot of money here on infrastructure. We also need more. And it's so timely right now as Congress takes up for consideration the infrastructure bill as well as reconciliation. We've been out-invested on the West Coast by a rate of 10 to 1 when funding was coming out of the federal government and U.S. Congress over the last decade. That's more than $11 billion that has gone to both the East and Gulf Coast ports compared to a little more than $1 billion here on the West Coast. 40% of our nation's imports, 30% of our exports come right through these twin ports in Southern California. And for the Port of Los Angeles, the cargo that traverses our docks reaches each and every one of our nation's 435 congressional districts. Where we look at American investment and getting the greatest return for the American consumer, all roads lead to Los Angeles. Yeah, these are just really historic times. And, uh, I, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us, you being on the, the front lines and all. Uh, so, Gene, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Greg. Always good to